Uh, welcome to Call and Shots. This is Seth Partnow. I am joined by my friend uh, from DNVR. Um, hmm. Well, uh, sorry. We're uh, our our, th- our our third guest, uh, Eric Name, is trying to find his way in. <laughs> uh, and he will join us as he gets the technology figured out. Anyway, I'm joined by from DNVR, Adam Mares. Uh, uh, Knower of all things nuggets and um, possibly mourning the loss of his his head, head of basketball operations imminently. Um, and Eric Name of the Athletic Bucks beat writer will join us shortly. Uh, and we wanted to talk about. I wanted to have these guys on to talk about um, playoff losers and more importantly, like how you react and grow and what happens next. Yeah, because it seems like I mean we have you know once we get past to having a little bit of fun of gone fishing. Uh, you know, which is always amusing. Like, there's a little bit of what next because it seems like it's a, this cataclysmic thing that befalls. Like, I don't know. I don't know if there's 15 teams because I don't know how many playoff teams like are more than just happy to be there. But probably about 10 teams a year where this is just like everything is terrible. What do we do? And so, how do you respond to that? Like, for a team like the Nuggets who have the two-time MVP, but also because of circumstances didn't have a real look at the title this year. Like, what do you take from a, from a, a, a short playoff run? Yeah. Like, if you're asking me my big takeaways from this Nuggets season, it, it's funny because I just talked about this this morning on Locked on Nuggets where the Warriors this year are, you know, starting to see the fruit of their gap year last year. Jordan Poole obviously growing into his own. Andrew Wiggins learning the style and form and buy-in and all that stuff. And then, so I feel like it's it, it's bearing fruit with the Nuggets. The the this gap year, this pointless year, they just kind of went through. I think the best thing you could say about them, the number one takeaway I have is that Jokic, by sheer necessity, turned into an absolute scoring beast. I think, and I know you'll probably disagree with this. I think he is as good of a scorer as anybody in the NBA, just like factoring in efficiency. And that's, I always thought he was an efficient scorer, but like a low volume one. The volume this year was 27.1 points, I think, per game. Embiid, I think, led the league with 30. So you're talking about he's right there in the same basic same volume, just slightly below, but on better efficiency than everyone. And I just don't think that would have happened unless he had to do it. And this was the circumstances that created it. So. Going forward, if you just talk about like what are the takeaways, that's the number one takeaway is Yoke went from being a great all-around offensive player to arguably the best scorer in the NBA on top of being a great all-around offensive player. I mean, I think that was – there was always the sort of impression of, he, of him being somewhat reluctant as a scorer. Yeah. And this last couple of years – like last year it seemed like uh, – you know, we've talked about this before, but coming off of the bubble playoffs where – uh, you know, they played Utah, and Utah was like, okay, well, we're going to make Jokic try to score instead of uh, try to pass to beat us. And he's like, okay. And then he's, right. he seems like he's just been aggressive since. And then this year, obviously, with the personnel issues, stepped up more. So I think that's, that, is, that is a healthy way of looking at it. I don't think that's the way we actually look at it. Um, you hmm. know, in terms of, hey, this is the big takeaway from this year. Like, it, like Jokic is, you know, he's now a 1A guy. And, you know, I'm going to have him in my Tier 1A in, when we do the player tier. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, when I do the player tiers in a couple of months. Um, and in large part because of that, like, 
willingness to be like, okay, if I need to score 45, I'm going to do it and do it efficiently, um, which I, you know, we weren't totally sure he had before, you know, a year and a half ago. Yeah, now it's no question. That, and that's the difference is you're right that it was always a possibility, but just now you're at a point where you're like, okay, no question. If you need Yoke to go out and average 33, 34 a game in a series, he can do it. Um, so, so, now, so now it's no question. Um, and then there were little things like Bones Highland getting some reps. Um, the one thing I'll say is, and this is an interesting philosophical question for you, do you feel like you know a, what a championship Luka Doncic team looks like more than you know what a championship Jokic team looks like? So this is this is kind of something I. What does a championship team look like? It seems like we 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 construct these like elaborate flow charts of if this and then that, but we need this, but also that, and it's it's like, you know, okay, it's you're a really good team with 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 one or more really good players, and you uh, are you know get the right coaching and you get some luck and good chemistry and voila championship, um, and it it seems like we we try to. This is going to sound weird for, for, for me to say it, but we try to over-science it. Right. So do I know what a Luka Doncic team Yeah, I think a Luka Doncic championship team looks not terribly unlike a LeBron championship team. Right. Um, Which is, I think, not unlike like what kind they of a late, a late LeBron, like a, like a Cavs-Lakers right. LeBron championship, like not the Heat version, obviously. But I think that they have the B version of that team right now. Like Jalen Brunson... It, people, people kind of laugh about him as like the second best player or this or that, and I'm kind of like he's really good. He's just the B version of what of like a Kyrie in some ways. He's really good at getting to the rim. He's a really good scorer, he, and he plays off of Luca. Like he just he spaces the court, and then when he's the release valve, he gets to attack. And to me, that's that's kind of my point. Is I feel like one of the things for Dallas, if you're Dallas, is you look at this and you go. Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock and Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie, these guys, they are the right mold of player. I don't know if they're the right caliber, but they're the right mold. And, and that's kind of my point. And then with the Jokic team, maybe you still are trying to figure out exactly what all of the other pieces look like, although I don't think so. I think I have a pretty good view. But that's I just think, my point. I think we saw it for a couple of weeks last year, unfortunately. Right, right, um, right. Yeah. So, uh, but that, that leads, like, I'll take the negative side of that. Like, it's the last couple of years, like, oh, I don't know if you can win because you can just pick on Jokic. And, and you know, you can, I think you can tell by my tone of voice what I think of this argument. I'm so glad um, you do because I was, this is one of the things I was going to go to battle on. But I'm glad, I'm glad you, you are dismissive of sort of that, that perspective. Yeah, it's like, well, you've, when was the last time a team with a non, okay, when was the last time a team had a center as good offensively and as good a passer as Nikola Jokic is their best player. Never, right. never right. happened. So, like, we're already in never happened territory. So, but like, but it, I mean, to to give the questions too, because I think it is a legit question, given that we have seen there to some degree, like drop style defense is less effective against playoff caliber, meaning better teams. Right. Like, no shit. You're asking the teams with the better stars to take more star shots. Like, right. you know, that's going to work better against against you know Orlando than it is against Golden State. Like, that's I don't think that's not, that's not that's, that's kind of just math. Um, but what do you say about like, oh, I don't know, teams can just target Jokic every time down the floor, and how is that right. team ever going to do anything? Right. Like, what is your what is your like? How worried about that are you? And to the extent you're not worried, what is your counter to that line of thought? 
It's not that you're not. I'm not worried. It's that winning a championship is really hard, and you're, every team's going to have like vulnerabilities. That'll clearly be Denver's vulnerability. I just think it gets overstated in the most ridiculous way possible. And here's my. And here's my. Here was the take I told you I was going to be a little bit hot on. I think a lot of analysts, especially in in the mold of you and I, you know, the the, the people that kind of come up through analyzing this independently, not people that come through a pipeline or this or that or the you know traditional routes. People like us, I think that they have a tendency to look at basketball like building a model plane. And this is where we start to overrate the Clint Capellas of the world, who are really good, but that it's like, this is the mold that is the easiest because there's just not that many skilled bigs. So it's like, we, but there are a lot of like rim rolling, rim protecting, you know, low skill guys. And we say that's what works and nothing else does because it's the only thing that has sort of been proven to work. So there's like two types of def- defensive bi- or successful big in today's NBA in people's minds. And one of them is Clint Capella, and the other one would maybe be like a, a Bam out of bio, maybe a little bit more switchy or this or that. And again, I think it only feels true because it's the only examples we have because there's just so few few great centers. To me, I look at it and I go, one, you know, Denver did go to the, you know, conference finals just two years ago last time they were healthy they did beat a damian lillard team when you know with with two great guards and 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 have you know they've had the success to me the big thing that i take away from the nuggets is you had this great golden state warriors defense in the regular season i think they were number two or number one in the regular season you have draymond green who caused everyone problems and by game three they just couldn't stop Jokic and couldn't stop denver Denver obviously is at a disadvantage from having like other counters or this or that. I think Denver, if when you look at it, Dallas right now is giving up, I think, 123 points per 100 possessions on the defensive end. I think like in today's NBA, you don't have to be great defensively. You don't have to have a solve for all of that. You have to be good enough defensively four times out of seven, and you have to absolutely bludgeon the team and, and bend them to your will on the other end, draw fouls, slow the game down, do all those types of things. And that's the part where I just think Denver has solved it, and Jokic in particular has solved it. Now you just have to get enough defense, defense around him, and you have to have enough you know, supporting offense around him to be able to draw fouls and punish teams. And then you're going to see him win, win series 125 to 115. I honestly just don't think they're that far away. They were that far away even this year when you watch games 3, 4, and 5. I mean, just, you know, the... Well, he wears down. Yeah, he wears down in the playoffs because he has to carry thirty-five usage in hundred percent forty minutes a game because they're like their best guard is, you know, it's a Monte Morris is a Bones Highland. Like, you know, those are those are good. Like, you know, I I think Monte Morris is a, is a guy who is 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 a playoff rotation player, but he's a playoff rotation player. He's your best guard. Like, he wasn't a release valve. It didn't yeah. take the pressure off of Yoke. Like he had, it was a guy he could throw to the score, or they run a pick and roll. But Yoke was still had to be involved for Monte Morris to succeed. And I think this was the lesson of the Kyrie Irving LeBron pairing was there was a lot of possessions where Kyrie was just a full on release valve that LeBron got to take a play off, or he set the table and then got the the rest of the play where he didn't have to do something. And that's the thing I don't think people understand about Jokic is he literally could not do that. There was nobody that was like swing the ball to the other side. We created a switch. Let's swing the ball over to Will Barton, and I'll just stand in the corner now because we I've did my job. Like there was his job was never done. I think that is I, that 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 is a a. So you mentioned what's a Luka Doncic championship team look like? I think more of that, frankly. I right. will say that that uh, relative to some players of Luka's um, kind of broad skill set, whether you want to say Trey Young, James Harden, whatever. He is a more willing off-ball player. Like 
he will take catch and shoot shots. He will like he will spot up. He will not just deactivate when he doesn't have the ball on offense. He won't like record record scratch and get get into his bag every right. time. Right. Um, but they they do need you know and you know Brunson's a nice player, but I don't think at the high, I don't think at this level right he's he's good enough consistently enough to to be that like all right. Even while Luca's on the floor, we can run this through him for a little bit. You know, like you, the 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 Bucks championship last year. That was Chris Middleton for, right. for the yep. bulk of it. And, it, and yep. you know, and unfortunately, Eric is not going to be able to join us because of technical reasons. So we would have gotten into this, but like, <laughs> this is this is in in some ways both teams have a similar like again. Okay, our team wasn't whole. What do we take from this this playoff run? Right. Right. And and so that's, again, broader picture. Like, how do you, coming out of, of falling short, what parts do you take on? What parts do you throw away? What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I honestly believe, and this is the part where I think people will, and we're not going to know until next year, but I think seeing the level Yoke has reached over the last year, obviously two MVPs, I just think him and Murray become unsolvable on offense. And there's very few teams that you can say that about in today's NBA. Like, there's just you can force them into their weaker parts or this or that. And to me, I just look at it and I go, "That's enough. You're already there. You don't need a ton of great spacing." Although I think in today's NBA, there's just enough spacing to be found. There's enough. Everybody's kind of coming up, working on their three-point shot. I think Aaron Gordon has to become. He's not going to become a dynamic offensive player, but he just needs to pick a spot. He needs to pick like the left corner and just all summer be be there. You don't have to be this great three-point shooter, but you do need to have like a spot where you you kind of punish teams from. Same same goes for like his. I don't love posting him up, but he just needs to add. He just needs to have like one thing that he kind of can get to when teams put Jordan Poole on him. Duck in, jump hook. Yep, That's a, all. a quick like, one. Like like yeah. a quick. It's not like I'm sitting here with four dribbles and I do the yeah. shimmy. Just like oh, I got Jordan Poole on me. Let me get to that one little drop step. He and DeAndre need to, need to switch post games. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Just go to that same thing. <laughs> go to it over. Yeah, just quick little quick little jump hook, and, and whereas Aiton has to try to put the guy in the basket more, which I, I, I admit that it's something I do kind of like that Gordon does, especially you're talking about, like, you know, mucking the game up, slowing it down. It does do that. Right, <laughs> it does, right. It does make things go slower. But, so, I mean, that's that's sort of broad picture. It's like, you're like okay, one takeaway is we're fine, but also we need to, like, on offense, you're fine. Well, yeah, but you also, just from a personnel standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, like, you have to be able to take some constructive things because even, like, yeah. personnel aside, like, it's a waste if you don't... Okay, but what do we need to get better at, even aside from being healthy? Yeah, so defensively, I think it is personnel. I mean, Denver just has to get longer. They played this season with, with Monte Morris, Bones Highland, Faku Compazzo. I mean, you just have so many tiny guys out there and I think with Denver, they're going to be one of the few teams that can't switch. So I think they're going to have to guard the pick and roll the way they still do with Jokic playing that aggressive scheme. And to pull that off, you just need length on the backside. You need length at the guards. You need guys that can sort of, you know, top lock and then contest as they come around these screens. And I love Monte Morris. He's a solid defensive player, but he's just so little that you can't do that. You, you've got to find some length in your backcourt. I think you look at it and you think Bones Highland has, I think, a 6'9 wingspan. To me, he actually fits that mold. He's not a great defensive player, but I think it works. Jamal Murray, six foot five with a good wingspan. Like, okay, that's two long guards. Everybody else you look at, 
to me, it becomes expendable. And not just expendable, but I would be surprised if you won a championship with them on the roster. I love Monte Morris, and I think on another team, he might be a championship piece. But when we start to talk about, you've got to have, if you have a four-man guard rotation, three of those guys have to be able to guard at a pretty high level. And I think I look at that and I go, Jamal Murray and Bones Highland, to me, can project to both be solid. I don't think they'll. I think I don't know that they have to be negatives. But that means your other two guys just have to be pretty elite in that capacity, and they don't have to be great offensively. Because as you proved this year with Jokic, even without Jamal Murray, you still have a great offense, even with a bunch of negative offensive players on the court. So to me, that's the thing: is it's it's not scheme. I think their scheme is going to stay. They can be more dialed in. I mean, you watch how well teams like Phoenix execute, Boston execute, Golden State yeah, like until they don't. <laughs> well, yeah, but, but it doesn't even get to the point to, until they don't. Because you're right that everybody gets tested. But to me, those teams, when you see them at their best, just just in terms of do they execute their defensive game plan, have done it at a higher level, even in the regular season, than I've ever seen Denver do it. So you have to be you have to get more locked in. But to me, it's more about personnel than it is anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I mean I think my my take about Denver would be would be similar, but you just need more like athleticism and physicality. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's kind of a similar, like, I think the guys can be small, but if like, if it's instead of Monte Morris, it's, you know, if Eric was here, he'd kill me for this, but if it was Javon Carter, like, <laughs> you know, that's my guy. Yeah. I feel like I mean, you're saying this. I, I, I did my not. Guy. I did not. Cause it, like, that was, <laughs> but like Eric, Eric is annoyed because like, I think he's sick of, of hearing like Bucks fans ask why not Javon Carter. And, like, yeah, that's why funny. Not? But it's not like that was, you know, without Chris Middleton, that's not the difference between being Boston and not. Right. Um, but, like, even if it's a small guy, like a small guy who can, you know, get into people, I think, you know, the physicality is, is as much as the size is something that I think, and this is something we've been going back and forth on for a number of years, I think, is, is like, the, just the ability to hit people yep. and have it stick. And, no no, no you, question. You're allowed to. Yep. So why not? No question about it. You know, the reason I think that Phoenix lost to Dallas is because of Jose Alvarado. Not even a player. Not even a player. He's going to be, I just think it took so much out of him in the first round that by the time the second round came around, he was he was gassed. And I think Denver could use that type of guy. Faku was supposed to be that guy, but he's below. he was below the threshold both physically and offensively. Yeah. But he was a guy that, like, if you talk about, hey, you got to go guard Chris Paul 90 feet, he's at least going to wear him out. It just he, it, again, he he offered nothing else other than the ability to wear a guy out, and and maybe and also he's going to be more of an annoyance than a than a hindrance, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> to be to be fair, like like I think Jose Alvarado is a you know, maybe 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 a younger version of Composo could have done it, but like, right, right. In his career, it's like he's kind of there and he's going to pick up some fouls and there's going to be some there's going to be some shithousery both ways. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. Dem- Denver, you're no, there's no question though, like athletes, length, toughness. It's funny. Cause those are the traits. Usually when you're talking about what do you need to add? You're talking about skills, more, you know, shooting or rebound or this, or that I think I, I, the skill part, I think Denver has down, but you're right that there's an attitude and a, a physical profile and it's a rough and tumble type guy, or actually probably a couple of them. That just yeah. add that physicality to the game. I mean, that's I mean, that's that's a big part of why when you know not to keep hearkening back to the to the you know the, the brief moment of jubilee, but that's what Eric, that's what Aaron Gordon brought, right? Yeah. To, to you know when he was when you know you had that, uh, um, you know, um, 
here's so here's a question for you. This is this is a something that I've become something of a zealot about through this these playoffs is reliability. Mm. I don't want like there's a list of guys I just don't want on my team when I'm trying to win a championship because like like I'm not talking about a guy who's inconsistent. Like inconsistency, especially for guys who are like role player shooters, that's like that that that's just, yeah. that's just how it works. Right. Um but guys who just like game to game, is this guy gonna be available to play? Is he going to be in the right kind of mindset to play? Is he gonna do just mm. really stupid things at inopportune times that beat us? Yeah. And, you know, uh at least one of those, if not multiple of those questions, I think it's fair to say applies to Michael Byrne Jr. <laughs> no, there's no question. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he's the, the the wrench in all of this because he's either like a huge help or a huge anchor on all of it. But he, whatever he is, he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's Denver has to sort of build around. I don't think if you just said Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, Aaron Gordon, I don't know that Michael Porter would be the guy you'd be like, oh, that's the perfect perfect guy there. But to his credit, he has a lot of like opportunity to kind of become that guy ahead of him. Um, when you mention though that reliability, it, you know, to me, Draymond Green is the guy that provides this for the Golden State Warriors. And this is one of the things I told you we were going to talk about, or I wanted to talk about. The Nuggets ha- and Steph Curry, Jokic, Giannis, these are the three guys to me that are like so rewarding as your cornerstone piece to be a teammate of. They're, they're so to speak, the carrot um, of like, hey, you come here and you play with Steph. He's willing to pass. He's willing to be off ball. He's willing to not even touch the ball if it's be- to the benefit. And I think everybody buys in behind that. Same goes for Giannis. And obviously, same goes for Jokic. Like, I think it's probably a joy playing with Jokic, not just because he passes the ball, but because he's willing to like not be the main focal point every second that he's on the court if he doesn't have to be. But I think you need the stick. And that's what Draymond Green provides. He's the guy that's like, everybody is inspired to play with Steph Curry. But if they're not inspired one day, if they're not feeling that way, Draymond Green's going to be in their ear telling them like, hey, cut this, cut this out, whatever it is you're doing. Or, hey, we need you to rebound. We need you to try to dunk on people. We need you to be a physical. Like, He's the guy that's pushing him in that other direction. And maybe the – I think Giannis maybe has a little bit of both of these things. Like he's a little more fiery than Yoke is. To me, Denver doesn't have that guy. So the, the reliability of a Michael Porter or an Aaron Gordon or some of these guys that bring it some nights and don't bring it others, to me, you've got to get those guys to be those, to be those people. And I'm not sure who it is on the Nuggets roster that gets the guys to be that guy. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you know, like I can speak to this a little bit. I think that in a different way, he's not like a – in your face yell guy, but like I think Middleton's a little bit like that for like that's not how we do it here. Right. It's more right. more how he, more yeah. how he's gonna do it than right. than like yelling and screaming. But um but yeah, that you know, I think that maybe that's that's would is that possibly something Denver lost um as Paul Millsap both kind of aged out and then was no longer on the roster? I don't think so because what I think with Paul Millsap was he's just more a reliable self self driven reliable guy, um, but I don't know that he was the vo- I don't know if they've had that guy. I always come back to this because Denver's had the same roster largely, other little pieces moving, but Richard Jefferson called it the most boring locker room he's ever been a part of. <laughs> that they're just quiet. I think they have a bunch of guys that are just quiet and don't really say anything and. You know, you've, you've been around enough locker rooms to know there's some locker rooms where the music goes on the moment 
you know, the moment everybody steps inside and it's loud and you got people yelling and screaming, it's like trash talk nonsense, it's just personality. Denver has none of that. They're like so quiet. And I just think they need Bones Highland is, well, is yeah, but I was gonna say Bones seems like the guy. Yeah. <laughs> but he can't be that guy, right? Like he's he's right. still in school. He's still he's still like learning how to play the game and this or that. But I do think they could probably use not even just one. Like they're so far behind on this character trait that I feel like they could use two of them. Just two guys that are going to be loud and 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 talk, make sure the energy is always there and are talking to the key role players. Like, hey, you're going to rebound tonight, right? Like, hey, you need you because it's the thing about Andrew Wiggins. You tell me, Andrew Wiggins and Aaron Gordon were in the same category to me. Maybe talent, you know, different talent groups, but guys that I'm just like, I don't know. They're not good enough to be stars, and they don't have the mentality of role players. And I'm just so impressed with Andrew Wiggins evolving into what I consider to be an elite role player for the Golden State Warriors over this. I mean, I didn't think this a year ago, but I'm thinking, like, as I'm watching these playoffs and he's making so many winning plays, and I'm not trying to credit anybody other than himself, but I do think there's something, too, like, that something about that culture that gets that out of him. And Denver, I think, is just lacking that piece. It's not a big piece, but they're lacking that part that gets Aaron Gordon to take pride in the fact that he grabbed 18 rebounds in a pivotal game. So I think that, I mean, there's two. There, one is the sort of the, the, I think you put it as the carrot and the stick. One is the someone who is going to, you know, beat someone into shape. Right. The other, I think the carrot is, oh, man, we're going to win a title if I do this. Totally. Like, like, you know, for the most, like, again, stepping outside from the, from the guys who are in my, in my unreliable box who, you know, don't want, right. um, like, that like you get down to it, like these guys are have already gotten paid for the most part. And right. so it's like I'm gonna win a title if right. I do this. Like right. that's for for like the, these guys compete at everything. Yeah. You know, like you don't like I think people underrate the degree to which like you you put a competitive goal in front of an NBA player that it will lead to Kind of either not necessarily desired, but a certain kind of effort, a certain kind of, and I don't mean effort in terms of like like a certain kind of of attempt. I think there's though a macro to this and a micro to it. In the macro, I think Denver has. Like I think Aaron Gordon wants. And by the way, it almost sounds like I'm contrasting Wiggins and Gordon in a negative way for Gordon. Like I think Gordon is learning these lessons. Like after the season, he talked about how this offseason is all about improving his IQ and he just wants to be watching film and like get up to snuff. And, and like, I honestly, and I take him at his word for it. I think he went up against Draymond and kind of was like, wow, there's levels to this and I need to really become a student of the game, so to speak. So I think he has some of this, but the, you're talking about the macro of it. And I think all of the nuggets have the macro of it. Like, hey, we can win a title if we all buy in. What you need is the guy that is just reminding you of that every five minutes in practice like the guy that's like again and i think this was what draymond represents we all know the gif of him with with uh kevin durant right doing his little like like just talking to to me that's that is draymond in a nutshell he's just going around teammate to teammate doing that nonstop, and it's just like a con it's the micro reminders of why you're doing this so to me that's that's part of it for denver it's just those little like you're pushing them every second of the way so this is this is this is a tough role to fill, though I think. No question. Um, so this is this is something I think teams sort of do wrong in team building. Sometimes like, oh, we're gonna get the veteran presence, and he's gonna right, right, right. I can't play. Like it's 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 still probably better than if it's an assistant coach. If it's someone who just like if it's the you know Udonis Haslam Memorial roster spot. No question. Um, like, but if he can't play, then like, you know, all right, all right, pops. Right. Like, right. You know, Whereas if it's if it's you know Draymond if it's you know 
like you know what Draymond says goes like and how we right. if like Draymond can go to the coach and say this guy can't play right and you know um, that's why okay. I have a, a nominee oh please it's Jamal Murray and it's tough because I, I really do and here's the thing because Jamal Murray is a fiery like he's the, the tough part here is he just lost two years right I mean I know he was there for the regular season, but he, but he missed the playoffs, which is the part where you really solidify this. But to me, Jamal Murray is the guy, one, I think he, more so than he did, he was on track to as a rookie, he's really bought into how to play with, with Jokic. And I've said this all the time, I've thought he was, two years ago, as good, if not better, than, than Devin Booker, but he sacrifices a lot of his game in order to be this. And to me, I'm like, there's something here to this. Like he could try average more points. He could take crazier shots, but he, he kind of plays perfectly off of Jokic to make this two man game. That's greater than, than the individuals are. He lost two years. So I don't know if he has this, but he has the personality, the intensity. And I think he, he's only what, 24 years old. I think he's growing into a point where he can be that guy. The question is, what happens when you lose two years? Like, does he have that in September when nobody's seen him play for a while? Can he, can he kind of be reminding everybody and playing with that intensity and going at everybody? I mean, he's a hyper competitor. I'm, when Bones Highland came in and it, he played great in summer league and everybody's starting to talk, oh, he reminds you of Jamal, this or that. I don't think it, it, it was unintentional that he challenged Jamal or that he, all he could do was shoot free throws because he couldn't move at that point. He publicly challenged him to a free throw competition and beat him with his left hand. And like, it's like almost Jordan-esque, this like, and then he puts it out on social media. You're like, hey, it's a rookie. Take it easy on him. But it was one of those things where it's, this is Jamal. He's always at a 10. He's just always turned up. And so I don't think he is a Draymond Green leader or pusher or this or that. But to me, you're right. Because it has to be a great player, he has to grow into that. Sure. I mean, that's, so not a big ask there at all. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't this part of being a, a big player, though? Because, I, yeah. I, again, I think we always talk about the skill here or there, but, like, some of this is, hey, man, you have to learn how to be an asshole in a way that people respect and, and know you love them. And that, to me, is, is his challenge. I mean, it, I think it varies from team to team, but especially sort of, like, I think we can agree that, that Jokic doesn't have that in him. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he does. Um, I mean, has there, like, has his sort of... Has his vocal presence changed much over his time? Other than, I mean, it, 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 the the what, like I, the probably the thing that has been a noticeable change is probably for the negative, is as he's gotten to be a better and more prominent player, I think he bitches the refs more. Than <laughs> but oh, I don't, I don't know. I actually think yeah. he, he he complains less. I have to give him. I, I think you forget how much he did, used to do this back yeah. in the day. So he's gotten that a little under control. I, I think the thing with Jokic is he's more aware than ever. It's it's funny. My, by the way, Michael Malone talked about this after the. Uh, season I, I asked him like where can he get better and he kind of laughs at it but then he gave the very serious and i think like pointed uh response about how he still can improve as a leader i think some of this is language like yoke i always think back to dirk nowitzki his, his and Jokic's english was probably the same as rookies and then dirk has like became a fluent english speaker by this point in his career and yoke still kind of struggles with it and I, I i think those are personality things and who they spend time with and and just sort of how they engage with American culture in different ways. Um, but but he has he has improved in that. He, the thing that he doesn't get credit for, that people in Denver see, and especially when you talk to people in the organization, he is an insane worker. Hardest worker. We had a G League player, um, Matt Ryan is actually his name. He's, I think he made it on the Boston Celtics roster. 
And he had this comment where he's like, Yoke was the first one in the gym in the summer. Every workout, he went harder than everyone else, stayed longer, got there earlier, and just did this. And nobody knows it because it's not like a thing he publicizes or this or that. And, he's, and his point was, everybody else knew they had to show up extra early and stay extra late for every workout because Yoke was there. And so that is leadership. I just don't think the vocal part of it is ever going to show up. But I think those parts of it are important as well, and they're already here. He's not going to put his, He's not going to be... Be, be putting rise and grind on the gram is what you're saying. <laughs> he's not going to come out after a loss to the main court to get the shots up, you know, where everybody can see him. Yeah, he's not going to do those things. Love that. Love, love, love that. Totally, totally honest hustle. Totally, uh, <laughs> totally non-contrived. It's great. It's great. Great. But people don't know it, right? It's not a reputation that he has as being the hardest worker in the gym. But it's, but it is true. Uh, I mean, we've got. Some, uh, uh, Charlie in, in chat is noting that, that Jokic isn't really like that Vogel versus w- at, with the Serbian national team, which is, you know. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. Is, you know, so that, that just makes you, I mean, and it doesn't, it, it certainly fits with everything we've seen. And you've interacted him with him, obviously, massively more than most. But, um, like, I think that, 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 that jives with everything we know about his personality, that he's like, I don't want to say shy, but he's a, he's a, more introverted than many star basketball players. Oh, for sure. No, yeah, he's also a younger brother. You know, he's got two brothers that are 10 years older than him, and I honestly think that paints a lot of his personality. <laughs> We're aware. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're aware, as are the Morris brothers. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but I think it paints his personality. Like, they, you, you've seen the, that dynamic a lot with older, older brothers like that that are the leaders and the voice, and then you got the younger brother that's oftentimes the more talented one because <laughs> he's always playing up. Yeah, that, 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 I think that's right. Um, so I want to so I want to zoom out a little bit because we again we're, we're the I, I you know from experience the kind of the the searching that goes on you know and it's natural because a you just got beaten the playoffs b what are you doing now you're doing draft and free agency prep so you're kind of you're almost doing not just projecting your own team but you're projecting right. the league. And so you do have to kind of go back and all right, you know, if you're the if you're the Orlando Magic, I guess, I don't know why I'm picking on the Magic, but, but mm. whatever. Uh, like, I, I don't know how much you care about. Hey, what's playoff basketball like? Right, right. What's playoff basketball going to look like next year and in two years? You don't really care that much. Like, you have enough time that first of all, you have to get the guys that you that make you. Want, need to care about that, but if you're the Nuggets and okay, you've got you get you know Jokic is going to be 27 next year, uh, you're these are these are prime years, and this is this is you know this is Denver, this is Philly, this is Milwaukee, this is you know uh, Phoenix probably like looking at one of their the, the very end of their window, um, like what do you look at these playoffs and big picture? Are there things you take away? This is so this is the the worry is I think we way overinterpret. Like mm. any one result, but there are things you can take away. So finding that right balance, like as you watch these playoffs, what are the things that you're like, don't have enough of that, have enough of that. This is an advantage for us. Like, what are you, if you were, if you were, uh, if, if Tim, if Tim Conley got the uh, Wolves job tomorrow and they, uh, and, and the, uh, the DNVR phone rang. Oh yeah. At, Let's at, go. On the shoulder and say, Let's do it. It's your time. Like yeah. what, what have you did? Like, tell me, okay, as part of your, your final interview, tell me what you've taken away from these playoffs and what's, what's actionable about that from us. 
and think not, it, like, yeah. Yeah, not, not Denver's part in these playoffs, but the sure. the the uh, all the other series. I, I mean, I think you're uns- going to be unsatisfied with my answer here because well, there's, not a, there, there's not an answer because it's right, like, right. No. Um, but I, I do think that it is, yeah. The the winning mold is going to feel like the right one when I think it's just the one that wins this time. And the the best example I could say of this is if you look at what Phoenix did last year. A lot of people are going to say they never played a healthy team, and I think that's part of it. But I think if you actually look at it and you go, all right, they played the Lakers, great wing, great big, not really great guards. You go play Denver, no guards at all. Then you go to the Clippers, same thing. Great wings, they have Reggie Jackson, but outside of that, it's a wing-oriented team. And then they get to the finals, you know, and, and, and they play, again, another team with good guards, but mostly wings. Then you go into this round, first round, um, again, wings, not really necessarily. I see Jay McCollum, and he went off on them, by the way, but, but not this. And then you get to the second round, and you have to play a perimeter-oriented game, and all of a sudden you realize that Devin Booker and Chris Paul are actually in a playoff setting, can be weak links defensively, like there are guys that can exploit that. So I think part of this is it's a paper, rock, scissors league, and you can look like you have the right formula so long as you don't play the team that is your kryptonite. And I think the same is going to be true for Denver, by the way. And by the way, I think Denver's going to be a lot of teams as kryptonite because there's going to be a lot of teams that are built for Luka and built for Steph that are not at all built for Jokic. So to me, this is probably the big lesson of it is that you, pro- you have to understand that you're going to be vulnerable in some places just because the league is too talented and it's impossible to build a roster that has – strengths in the wing, the guard, and the, and the front court. Um, so that would be my big lesson. And then Denver, and I, I give them a bit of a break because this year was so hard and every game mattered, for the, and I think they focused less on process and more on results in the regular season. But next year, you have to be at a point by February, March, that Boston was, where you knew every single night that they were going to execute. You didn't know if they were going to make shots. You didn't know if the other team was going to make shots, but you just kind of knew they were going to execute their defensive game plan. And Denver has not reached that level over the last two seasons, but I think a lot of that has to do out of necessity. Next year, it has to be a priority. And that's, I think that's also, I mean, maybe selling Boston's, like, you know, the defensive talent and awareness of their their, their No their question. Guys. Like, that's, you know, that's... I think that some of the, the best, like... Mike Dump segments this year, like I can remember, have been like Boston, some of Boston's defensive stuff. Just in, right. like not just the, the audio, but like if when they when they zoom in on the players and they show like the switch switch back head right. help recover. Yeah. It's just like and with just little bits of communication, like it's it's so many. It's it's uh, you know it's it's uh, you know part of the part of the um, people like when they say basketball is jazz. Right, they they're usually talking about like the improvisational nature, but the other part is is that is it's the the you know if it's a quartet or a quintet or a trio or whatever, it's the the working together right in with, with familiarity. <laughs> and, That's the part they don't tell you. Jazz is really hard to play. <laughs> yeah, it's really difficult. Well, it's no, a gr- I mean, you need to know the rules before you can break the rules. Exactly. Yeah, I think what we're what we're getting to. Yeah. Yeah. I think, but but this is my point, and I and I'll push back. You were inside of an organization, so you you maybe have a better answer to this. One of my hot, this is actually my hottest take. I've been sharing it the last week or so. I think teams aim too low when when they're trying to develop throughout the course of a season. And what I mean by that is, so many teams run five out, spread pick and roll. Like it's all, it's almost simple, right? Like how hard is Reggie Bullock's job on offense? It's very simple. Now they have the personnel to do that. I'm not trying to say they need to run the Warrior system. But to run the Warrior system, it takes an enormous amount of strain, and like you, guys, you have to be able to read the court five different ways over and over and over again. And I think the defense is the same thing. So when you say 
that I'm discounting or underselling the Celtics and how they have smart, capable defenders. So running complex stuff on the defensive end is easier because of that. You're both right, but I also think like, why do you aim low? Why do why do we why why can why can't Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic execute a more complicated scheme? I actually think all three of those guys can. You just have it just takes six months. This is the joy of an eighty-two game season. Yeah. Is those are habits that are developed over long periods of time. Michael Porter, not so sure about him, but <laughs> that, that's one guy. Yeah. No, it's, I think uh, and and uh, Josh has been waiting to ask a question, so we'll get to him in a second. Uh, go ahead and unmute yourself and. Uh, and, and ask, but no, I think I mean we, the reason why they don't is you saw like remember the the the, the, the discourse around Boston in January, right? Yeah, it's exactly you know, you're exactly I think, right. I think that's like like I have that like that sucks to live through. So like let's like like let's not touch that stove, even though it might be worth it in the long term. There's also a lot of teams that have gotten to January and fallen apart yeah. because they didn't get over the hump. Like that, yeah. they got over the hump and they all felt it coming, and then the rest is history. Yeah. All right, Josh, what do you got for us? Right, so I'm a Warriors fan. I've really enjoyed this podcast. It's been really fun to listen to. Uh, I'm a Warriors fan, and I'm thinking about what the sort of fifth guy in the lineup would sort of scare me if the if Denver added it. The name that I keep coming to mind is Gary Payton II, but is there any other yeah. thoughts of who could be the fifth guy who could really make this team a, a true title contender and add that defensive punch they need? I mean, I think. I mean, I think that's. I mean, you know, the two players we've mentioned, like that's a, certainly a type. I mean, he's a, he's maybe a, a bigger, less skilled, more athletic right. version yep. of Javon Carter. But that, like, like someone in that, you know, it's. I don't know what the scale is, but, but right. it's like, you know, at the top end of that scale is Drew Holiday, and the bottom and like the minimum viable edge of that scale is I don't know. I don't know if Gary Payton's good enough, but right. like that's that's like that's the range of. Of sort of player types we're talking about. I, I'm, it's too bad that Eric wasn't able to to join us because the one thing I wanted to talk about was sort of this is a great NBA sliding doors moment. Is <laughs> so true. Drew Holiday, was, yeah. Drew Holiday, yeah. If Denver, if Denver had been willing to, they would have had to put Porter in the deal, right? <laughs> Which at this point you're almost like you're off I mean, at Porter. The time, at, at the time I was saying, yeah. like, what are you, what are we doing here? Right. Like, but like I like I understood like. The, but yeah, but yeah. that's that's it. That is such a slight. Like as you think of how different a team starting with Murray and Holiday in the backcourt and Jokic up front. Like just how different oh. a team that looks like. You have to guard the perimeter. You just have to be able to do it in today's NBA. You, especially like you look at a team like Dallas, they force you to guard in isolation. And they're not the only ones. Even Phoenix forced Denver to guard in isolation over and over and over again. And not just Jokic, like. They force the guards to have to do that, and you have to have guys you rely on. Drew Holiday is obviously the best. I think we focus. I think we focus too much on well, can the center guard in space? I mean, yeah, yeah, right. Like, I mean, because it's like, all right, that's sort of a that that's sort of a least common denominator offensive set. You can't do that every time. You just, of course, you're, you're not going to get this. You're not going to get the switch every time. And like, also, like, that's hard. Like, physically, like, wearisome for. But you can like okay, well we're gonna go at the guards every time, and if they can't stay in front of us, the defense is constantly in rotation. I think the wheels also fall off easier when you're doing that, especially if you have a great offensive team like Denver's a great offense. If you keep isoing Devin Booker onto Jokic and he goes zero for four, and Denver comes down and scores on three or four yeah. of those, like your your offensive rhythm's gone, your confidence is a little bit lower. Like it just takes a lot of things out, so there's a risk to it as well. 
Um, but I love that Gary Payton – look, I, you're, you're right that I think he's below the threshold offensively. Um, and also, I'm always a little bit nervous of a player that had one good year becoming the guy that you count on to do everything. That's a great culture, as we mentioned. I, so I think that I think that the, the some of the things that made him viable or more viable in Golden State do exist in Denver. Like, oh, no question. You, you know, like he's he's sort of okay. He can't play point guard, but you're not asking him to right. play point guard because you have Jokic. Yep. Like because you have Steph, because you have Draymond. Like this is like a stand in the corner cut. Like you can even play him in the dunker. Offensive rebound, yeah. Hit off and get out. Hit offensive rebounds, like yeah. In Jokic offenses, I love when a guard can play the dunker because you have a center out on the perimeter guarding Jokic, and if you have whoever's guarding Gary Payton, if he's in the dunker or he's in the corner, but he's sneaking in as soon as the ball gets into the paint, then like that's your rim protector. All of a sudden, is whoever's guarding Gary Payton. Clay Thompson becomes your, or I guess, you know, uh, Jalen Brunson becomes your rim protector. <laughs> they, you know, they, there aren't that many of them that can do it anymore. But a guard who could post up would be pretty. Yeah pretty like you see it some with with Gordon again but if it was actually like just a guard who could like you know start in a corner and then duck in when Jokic has the ball in the high post like well Jamal Murray is actually a really really good post player um he's, he's gonna he's at the top of the floor so much that you actually have to run a set there's no of like, course you, you might have like, a bones to, combo yeah. you might have a bones combo that alleviates that it's not going to be a go-to but he yeah. does have a Devin Booker like post footwork yeah. to him but you're you're, you're but you're not going to get like random post ups from. Oh you know, right 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 yeah right um, right gotcha. Um, yeah. So, I, I think we sort of lost the question somewhere of again, like any any sort of specifics or general, like aside from you know be better and watch out for you know watch out for like the rock paper scissors element. Like, is it is it perimeter containment? I mean, I, I think that's honestly part of it. Again, I keep going back to Jamal I mean, it's, Bones. It's, it's, it's been it's been how many years that like oh, and it's it, and like the focus. It's funny because the focus is always on well, the bigs can't move their feet. Well, it's like no, stay in front of the guy. Like right, you look right. at the bigs who are getting who are getting like you know hit on that, and it's just like okay, like. It's, it's so selective. It's just it's, it's confirmation well, it's, it, bias. It's, I mean, no, it's Utah who can't stay in front of anybody. It's right. Denver who has had, you know, their best perimeter defender has been Austin Rivers. I mean, so right, like it. I mean, you know, Aiton. Like when when Phoenix's perimeter D kind of started to fall away. Like Aiton, who that was supposedly a strength of his. Like it wasn't always awesome against against Dallas. Yeah. I mean, I mean, some of that is just like okay, the shot making of Luca and to an extent Brunson is like, was that good defense? Uh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> the ball went in. Like I don't know if that's a, like you know those these are guys who it's kind of hard to to. There, there's a lot of guys left in these playoffs where it's hard to measure, hard to ID defensive process, right? Just because it's like oh, it went in, right? But I thought I guarded it pretty well. Like if. if Jason Tatum's going to take that shot, like, okay, but I don't know. Right. Right. Um, I don't know if there's I a mold. Is there a mold, though, of player that you think makes an impact defensively that is a bit? I mean, the, the guys that you hear here among Denver fans are guys like Josh Hart and Catavius Caldwell-Pope, but I think those guys are solid defenders, like really good defenders, but they're not, they're not going to have the Drew Holiday impact. Yeah, I don't think, that, I don't think either of those guys is – I mean – Adding the guy who is quite good enough is like that's a it's sort of a narrow window of a guy yeah. they could get who is also right. good enough. Um, but that leads me to sort of a, a question you um, that you brought up earlier. You talked about um, Jokic being the carrot. 
I'm wondering between like like him being good to play with and um, you know stuff like the Warriors going out of their way to praise him after that series, right? <laughs> shouldn't this be something that makes it a little easier to get guys, or does mm. that just not matter when it comes to? That? You know what's funny about that? I don't think it matters in terms of like any of your bigger names or this or that. The one thing I will say is if you are a 30-year-old veteran that can't get a long-term deal, but you're looking for that next big contract, that's the guy that I would have come to Denver. Like, if I'm an agent. I'm, I'm saying, like, oh, you're... No. Why are you laughing? I'm laughing because I'm laughing you, you see the Jermaine O'Neal thing that came out today where he was talking about why he didn't want to sign with the, the Heat. No. He's like... He's like, I was, you know, considering going to the Heat and LeBron's there, or, but and I'm in my pantry getting an Oreo at night and thinking, what? They have this eight percent body fat thing. I'm, I'm in my thirties. I don't need that. Man, that's a um, self-selecting thing, then, isn't it? That's no, like a, but, that's like a bonus of the the Pat yeah, Riley culture. Yeah, but that's, but no, that's, I mean, you know, but that's, you know, if I'm thinking like, I'm I'm thirty two years old. Do I do I want to go live at a mile high for a? <laughs> like this? You know, that's like that's the flip side of that. So I don't know. No, well, one, of the, one, was... of the, one of the names I think about though, like a guy like a Cody Martin, is a guy I, th- I think about. Right. Like again, this is not like an impact player, right? Like this is not a guy that's gonna. This is more of a like six man, maybe filling the Austin Rivers role. But I think like he's had some good teams where he's gone. Like you know, they, they, they've played in systems where they've been. It's been smart. But you come to Denver, is he gonna shoot five percent, four percent better at the rim than he would just about anywhere else? I kind of think he would. And you come here for a year or two, and all of a sudden you're 29 years old, and people are looking at you like, "Wow, he's really good at the rim. He's really good on catch and shoot threes." Well, yeah, because they're in a system that does. I just, I wonder if those are the types of guys that are. That's the only type of guy I can picture wanting to come to Denver because they know it'll boost up their numbers. The Jeff Green led. Jeff Green set a career record. A career record. He's 30, 35. Set a career record in dunks this year. That's wow. Isn't that crazy? I mean, he, I mean, I mean, he. I mean, he. It seems like it's a little bit two years in a row that he's got that too. Like he got, he got a fair amount of that in Brooklyn last year too. Well, yeah. I mean, there you go. You're playing with even uh, with a lot of spacing there as well. Yeah. But I mean, I think Denver, maybe even more so because it's less surprising if you don't have Kevin Durant next to you. But I don't know. I don't know. Same, same with Aaron Gordon, by the way, whose like numbers at the rim this year were such so much higher than they ever were. When he's getting set up instead of having to get there himself. No, that's. I mean, I think that's the. I think that's the right type of player. Um, we're trying. Like again, I. I think the the one thing I would say is about either either Martin is maybe someone who's a little stockier. Yeah, uh, yeah. A little, but a little, like little now we're we're doing kind of a creator player thing. Like you want to get like, uh, and I'm I'm you know I'm struggling to find out who this is. Like, <laughs> Pre-injury, Wes Matthews, or right? Yeah, oh, no, or, but it is those types of guys. Yeah. It is Wes Matthews at twenty-eight, you're twenty-nine years old. Like exactly, right before where people are like, I don't know, is he too old? Is he the, you know? You're starting to ask that question. You come like, have a good year. Who is the who is the who is the Pat Connaughton of free agency? <laughs> well, you know the funny one, it, it, Austin Rivers. I got, I, I, I got a name for you. All right, let me hear it. Vincenzo. Oh, no question, he's in the mold. I mean, he's what six five, but he has the great athleticism, good wingspan. He, there's no question DiVincenzo is like exactly the type of guy. Uh, I don't know if he's mean enough. I mean, he went to Villanova, so. No, the, all, they're all smart. They all, they all know how to cut and read. Like, I, there's no question. He, he's definitely one of those guys to me. He's definitely one of those guys. Uh, but Austin Rivers might be the guy I'm talking about in terms of, I think he was 29 years old and nobody would pick him up. And then Denver, out of necessity, picked him up on that 10-day. He plays a whole season. I'm curious if Austin Rivers is now like a, 
um, rejuvenated commodity. Like maybe like a like a like a mini mid level kind of kind of like more than the minimum kind of yeah like that's what I mean is yeah nobody wanted him even on a ten day a year and a half ago and I wonder if now he actually gets a deal and there's three or four teams bidding on him and that's it is a perfect example that Denver can take to the next Austin Rivers and say hey come to Denver for a year you're gonna be you're gonna get another contract you're gonna get a three year after that that makes sense but it's just again again finding that guy yeah. Like, I don't know, is, is Bruce Brown going to be available this summer? Is he good enough? Is like, I think, you know, I, I think that the problem is we're finding we're, we're a lot of, of, of the, is he good enough? Yeah. Which is, I, I guess, you know, I think to get back to your point, like this is, this is the hard switch in team building is you, you mentioned teams during the season, not aiming high enough. Right. I think that's a, that I think that's a mistake teams make sometimes when they're trying to, you know, add depth to their championship level team. Right, right. Like, okay, that guy's fine. But right. is he can he be on the floor in the second round of the playoffs? Fine. And that's a different that's a different bar. Yeah. And, I think, and like yeah. the and like the uh, the fail safe is like, you know, athleticism. Like kind of size and athleticism. Is like, you know, is like Pat like Pat Connaughton is a guy who probably has more playoff than regular season value because of that. Right, right. Relatively speaking. Right. So, Do you think so this guy find, find the next Pat Connington. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's the thing is I think there are next Pat Connington's and, and that was kind of my point here is <laughs> I'm, no, <laughs> no I'm, I'm laughing I'm laughing because uh, um, you said Connington which the only other person I've heard pronounce his name like that is Bud. What is every time? <laughs> my my good always always calls always calls him Connington. What, what what how do you say it? It's Connington. There's no. There's oh no, oh yeah. I'm not. I'm no, honestly no. not going to be able to get that. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep calling him Connington. That's fine yeah. by me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wonder if that multiplayer. And this is where Tim Conley, I think, is actually good at this. Although he's good at this on the offensive side more than the defensive side. But I do think that the type of player you need. We just mentioned Gary Payton. Like that was a guy that was available 365 days ago. There's there's a lot of these guys that I think the talent is like Tory Craig was this guy for Denver for a little bit, who they can fill that when you don't need them to be dynamic offensively in any way. I think there's a lot of those guys. They're diamonds in the rough, and you got to find them. Um, but they like Herb Jones went in the second round, and you look at that and go, how did he do that? It's because people are looking at the offense, not the defensive side. Well, you know, it's it's uh, buckets get you paid. Right, defense, defense gets you on the team, but uh, the buckets might get you paid. Yeah, you know, Denver doesn't have money to pay anyone, so they yeah. might as well go for defense. <laughs> well, they'll have money, they'll, they'll they'll have the raise they're not giving Tim Connolly this time. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I mean, I, like, is this like maybe maybe close on this a little bit? Even though this, it seems like he's a guy who is uh, who's managed to get new contracts out of other teams' interest a few times, and it seems like. He's maybe run that run that game uh, as many times as it's going to work, and this time it's for real. I, I it's, uh, you, it's an interesting perspective. I don't think it's the one I have. I mean, he does not have an agent. Um, I think that people just look at him, I mean, especially when you think about a team that's like rebuilding. He is at a great intersection of finds good value and is generally before this one has been cheap. I mean, the report out of The Athletic was that they were looking at Bob Myers, um, Pat Riley, Sam Presti, and Tim Conley. Well, three of those guys are like, yeah, there's no way a team's going to let him go. And one of them is like, oh, yeah, the Cronkies will probably let him go <laughs> if you just make half an offer. So um, 
I don't know. I don't. I don't get the sense that he. I get the sense that he really wants to stay. We should hear today. I would not be surprised if he rejected that offer, not because Denver is going to match it or anything else, um, and that would sort of disprove your idea of like maybe he's just trying to squeeze more money out of it. I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure. If, I mean, I'm being a bit like um, flippant about it and 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 um, cynical about it, but it does seem like like well, I mean, if you get, if they're going to ask, hey, they're at, they're asking about me, and and then it's like, well, here's another another 250k. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You know, I think I think ownership groups, especially new ones, there's nothing they love more than like draft picks and finding guys. And I like Tim Conley represents that. So I imagine if you're this new ownership group, you're like, we're going to pay this guy, and he's going to find us like four more Jokic's, as opposed to like somebody who's going to like, oh, he's going to turn a bunch of assets into other assets that are slightly better or, less sexy or, or more to, more to the point he's going to run a harmonious ship that gets stuff get that it gets done that can execute what it wants to do i think that's a big part of that too is yeah. i think tim conley is is a low maintenance general manager or president of basketball operations so, so this is this is the this is and i and i wish we had john krasinski on but this is an interesting because denver is has one of the lightest front offices yep yep um Minnesota by this time, by the start of next season, like again, this is probably slightly an exaggeration, but they might have more analytics people than Denver has front office people. Yep. And so that's a that's that's sort of a difference. Some of our friends too over there. Yeah. So, boy, breaking news. <laughs> I, I, I'm just saying they have good people. Yeah. Like you, you'd yeah. say it's not just that they have oh, people; yeah, yeah. they have they I have thought, good I thought, people. I thought you were. I thought you were. You were. You were suggesting Lane was going back to the to the homeland. Oh, oh no 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 no! Other other friends of ours. Other yeah. friends of ours. But um, but no, it's a, you bring that up. It's such an interesting point that I think is underappreciated. Tim Conley has a small group that that operates like a a group of friends and. I'm, I don't know how much of that is out of necessity because the Cronkies are like, here's our budget. Like, hire as many people as you can for X amount of dollars. Um, or how much of that is by design. I know from talking to Tim over the years, this is how he prefers it because he says you can get too many, you know, too many voices. It creates confusion. So having like a very few number of people that are very close, so close that they can talk to each other normally is different. And we've heard stories. I know you've heard stories of front offices where – there's protocols in place and you're not allowed to talk to this guy without this guy being like just these weird things. And it feels corporate. I think the nuggets are extremely casual in that way. And it's worked for him. Maybe Minnesota tries to build something different if he goes there. I mean, I think that's a question of like scope, right? I mean, I think you can, you can be casual and it can be, it can also be process based. If you're small, if you're casual and big, then it's going to be a mess. And And that's, that's sort of how um, a lot of these sort of too many cooks teams, Right, when front offices sort of come about is there's a bunch of people and no one really knows who knows what, and then there's an expose in the athletic. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and everyone, everyone, yells at, everyone yells at Tim Cato. Um, <laughs> right. That's great. Um, yeah. Yep. Well, cool. I'm glad that we were able to do this. Too bad Eric couldn't have joined us because, uh, for, first of all, that would have been that would have been good uh, good conversation. But I think that we I think that this was some some good stuff and. I still remain like fascinated by the notion, like how one like puts the pieces back together, and um, and I, I again, I wish we, we could have talked to Eric about this because I thought that that Giannis's quotes afterwards were like that were like healthy but unusual. 
And mm. I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw them, but he was like talking about like, you know, I welcome this because this is how you get better. Oh, I, I thought it was great commentary. Yeah, but that's that's like man. So you saw a secondary meaning into it? Because can I tell you what I saw? Then I want to hear what you saw. Because I love that quote, and to me, the spirit of competition should be about trying to be the greatest version of yourself. And I feel like Giannis, as much as any athlete of my generation, gets that. Like, I'm not competing for championships. I'm competing to be the best I can be. And championships are a byproduct. To me, that's exactly how I interpreted that. That's why he's like, this wasn't a failure. Like, I was a step in a longer process. You saw no, something I think, different. I, no, I know. I know. I, I do see that. I, I just think that that's... I, no, I think I agree with you completely. I just think that's a very, very unusual take. And it's probably one that, that you know, he's earned the ability to, to have and not right. get, like, roasted for it. Because of winning the title last year, but I think no, I I think that's oh, there's no sincere. question. Yeah, I think I think that's completely <laughs> sincere, and I think that, I, mean, I think if you um um uh you know they're they're uh the, let's just say that uh, I can I can hear uh, the Bucks uh, the, the sports psychologist that, that that works with the Bucks frequently. Uh, I, I would recommend people go look at look up a TED talk by uh, Dr. Craig Manning, and I think you'll you will mm. you will you will hear a lot of Giannis. Of things Giannis has said, oh in wow! That talk and I think it's a very, uh, it's a very. I mean, it's you know, it's talking about like growth mindset and stuff like that. Yeah, in a very love uh, it. Sort of appropriate way, but I think that's I think that's unusual. Um, and in so much of whether it's internally or externally is like you suck. And like you know, what was the the, the first response? Well, this is because they didn't pay PJ Tucker. It's like right, right, oh, of course, right. Yeah, they, they <laughs> scored like eight tenths of a point per possession in the right. half court. I don't think PJ Tucker solves that. Like, right, right. Like, <laughs> it doesn't mean they shouldn't have re-signed PJ Tucker, but I think like we're kind of mi- missing the the key issue here. Um, you should have not had Chris Middleton get hurt. Maybe right. That was the that was yeah. the key issue for sure. Yeah. Can I tell you something though, real quick, as an aside yeah. to that? Because I I, lo- I I've thought a lot. Like my New Year's resolution was to try to be more present and like stop thinking about future so much, which is hard when you're building a business. <laughs> but it, I know it's corny. Cool. I tell only about it. Yeah, but I only bring that up because when I watched the Last Dance, the Jordan documentary during the pandemic, when everybody was at home watching. The thing I was took away from it more than anything else was how present Jordan seemed to be, especially in relation to some of the modern-day superstar athletes that we've seen, like the LeBrons or this or that. And what I mean by that is Jordan just seemed to fly by the seat of his pants, like just like intensely enjoying or focused on a very specific moment. And then once things were over, just moved on to this or that or, or, or what have you. And I think Giannis, and so when you say this, like Giannis had that quote, and I'm sure this is regurgitating whatever it is, sports psychologist you mentioned, where he said, the past is uh, depression, the future is anxiety, and the present is where you should exist or whatever. Like that sounds like something he read in a book or heard from somebody speak. But to me, Jokic is very present. This is why people like after, after tough losses, he goes to the podium and people ask him legacy questions. And he's like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> he's like, I don't know. What, like, what do, what do you mean? What are people going to say about me 20 years from now? I have no idea. Like, why do I, I probably won't even hear what they'll say about me. I, we, I, we, I mean, we, we focus way too much on that, on that stuff. Like, let, let it breathe. But I don't even think it's about a let it breathe thing. I think it's about where is your mind? And I think Jokic yeah. is intensely present. I think Giannis is intensely present. And I think that part is the part that's so much more rare than people realize. There's a lot of people constantly thinking about what this means later on rather than what's happening right now. I think, I mean, I think that that's our fault as sort of like whether it's, it's media or consumers in that, in that like that's the stuff that gets talked about. Instead. Yeah. Like everything becomes about 
spot in history immediately. It's like, hey, calm down. Like, it does until you acknowledge it. <laughs> like, that's part of this. Is I just, yeah. It doesn't matter if you just stop caring about it. Yeah. Right. People stop talking about it. I feel like people talk about Giannis's legacy less than they did LeBron's. Part of this is the, the level of fame that they're on. But I think part of it is also one engaged in it a lot more. Directly and indirectly, trying to tell you where he's going to be in history and trying to tell you what it means. And well, I mean, I think once you get to the point where you're in the discussion for you know greatest of all yeah. time, then it's sort of table stakes. But also, I think, I mean, like Giannis's stuff was intensely discussed, and then they won a championship, and now it's poof. Yeah. It's like you know, I'm a I grew up a Red Sox fan, and like we only talked about the curse until there's no more curse. And so right. It's, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how we got on the Red Sox. They suck this year. <laughs> I'll, I'll quote. I'll quote. This. I've, I've quoted team psychologists. I'll quote my dad and say they're dead to me, um, and, uh, and probably uh, say end on that and say uh, Adam Mars. Thanks for thanks for joining. Uh, sorry, Eric couldn't be with us, but uh, I think we had a good convo here and, and do it again sometime. Thanks for the convo. Really appreciate it. Yep. All right. Talk to you later, Adam, and uh, we'll talk to the rest of you later this week. Got some good guests coming up. Thanks a lot.